Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. had something that God just kind of seeded in your heart, maybe something, maybe it was there from the time that you were in school, maybe growing up as a kid, maybe, uh, you know, as you were progressing through life, there was this thing that you could never shake. And in my heart and, and the heart of many of those around me at the time, there was this thing that we just couldn't shake that that, that God wanted to do something great through our lives. Come on, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when, when you get saved and when you realize that your sins are forgiven and you realize that there's so much that God has saved you from. But there's an even more beautiful moment when you realize that God didn't just save you from some things, He saved you to many more things. God has saved us to things far greater than anything He saved us from. The magnitude, the, the impact, the influence, the opportunity to live a life of meaning and purpose and significance and not just to waste your days with needless pursuits. Come on, there's something that awakens on the inside of our souls that we begin to dream. It's like you wake up and dream. You wake up and you begin to see pictures of the future that God has for you. And I remember going all the way back to the seven years ago when we started Anchor Church and uh, I was sitting on my couch. It was about around midnight. And I remember sitting on my couch and closing my eyes, putting my head back and imagining what God may do. Imagining all the stories that we would tell, imagining all the friends that we would make, imagining all the things that would transpire as we just simply said yes to Lord to the Lord. It's a, it, it, it's it's literally saying yes to the greatest adventure that you could ever live. It doesn't matter how much you've traveled, or what you've accomplished in life, or what you've done. There is nothing like saying yes to the Lord. And in that moment. We, are, we become like Abraham, who the Bible says that God called him and he said yes to God, even though he did not know where he was going. How many of you are like, God, I feel like I'm supposed to take a step, but I have no idea what's going to happen after that. There's this, this trust that causes us to step out into, into the unknown. And it's a very uncomfortable place, but it's a glorious place at the same time. Because it means that we've literally put ourselves at the mercy of God. God, what do you have for my life? Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, what do you want with my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I need you to lead me, Lord. And over the past seven years, as we have built Anchor Church and, and, and sought to make a difference in our city and in our nation, uh, those dreams have only grown larger. God has only put more into our hearts about what it is that He wants for us. Um, we used to say in the beginning that, that we're praying that God would impart the vision that He has for our church, not just uh, to the leadership, but to every single heart, that together we would carry a picture of the future that produces passion. Because it's the story of our lives. It's the story of our lives. It's the legacy that we leave. It's, it's what we live for. I remember uh, uh, one time I was, I was sitting in a meeting with a bunch of pastors and I was the youngest in the room. I've told this story before, but it was a pivotal moment for me where I was sitting in a room with a bunch of pastors and I was the youngest by about two decades. So when you're the youngest by a few decades, they don't let you speak. You don't speak until, until they look at you all of, when they all, is it me now? You know? um, and, they, and, and the pastor there that day just asked one question and he says, what motivates you? Such a simple leadership question, what motivates you? And I remember thinking about what motivates me, and I just began to cry. 
like it was still like 30 minutes before I was going to speak. I think I cried all 30 minutes until it was my time to speak. And everybody had different motivations and different things that they said. And when it came to me, I just, I couldn't get any words out. I was so overwhelmed with emotion thinking about this opportunity that we have to live life, this opportunity that we have to run the race. And when I eventually got some words out, um, I sounded like a 12-year-old girl, but but the, the words that came out was simply just thinking. And I think what happened in that moment is I, I started thinking about those that have gone before me. Started thinking about my grandfather who, who uh, pioneered you know, churches in this nation and, and went from small town to small town to small town preaching the gospel, baptizing believers, going into student towns. He, he was a pastor for a while in Grahamstown and, and students from the university would come and they, they would often come into the back and, and, and begin mocking the service. And under the anointing, my grandfather would begin speaking into their lives. And before long, all of them would be, kneel, be kneeling in front of the stage, just receiving Jesus in tears where they thought they were coming to, to mock what God was doing or to mock religion. And instead they met with Jesus. And he would go and, and baptize people when he was out and leading a church in a small town called Meshadadorp in, in Mpumalanga. Um, there's a river, the Ilans River, that flows through there. And they would baptize people in, in standing queues along the riverbanks. And the current would get too strong in summer that as they were baptizing people, the current would move them down. With every baptism, they're kind of moving down river. And the people are just kind of like shuffling along. And I'm thinking about all of that. I'm thinking about those that have gone before me that gave everything that they had for the Lord, that gave everything to preach Jesus, that gave everything to build the church. And in that moment, I'm overwhelmed with emotion because I, I think to myself, and this, this is what I said. I said, there are those that have gone before me and there will be those that go, come after me. But this is my turn to run. This is our turn. And I know we don't always think this, but there is no dress rehearsal. You won't get to the end of your life and go, Okay, cool. Now I understand what it's all about. Can I go back and start again? No, this is your, these are your days. These are our times. And perhaps nobody will remember our name in years to come, 100 years from now. Nobody, perhaps nobody will know we even, we even existed. But there's something that we can do in the spirit that would be eternal. There's some impact that we can make in people's lives that will outlast everything. And it's our opportunity to do it now today today. So we start speaking about vision. I do get emotional because it's everything. It's everything about our lives. It's everything about how we live. And so when people tell me that the vision of church is that we must just be a, a, a cute little community that gets together and just kind of hugs each other and, you know, br brother so-and-so and sister Lucy Lou, I don't know. Can we turn the music down a little bit? I'm like, sister, brother, we have a mission. We have a mission that's greater than your comfort. We have a purpose that's bigger than your preference. We've got some things that we've got to do, and we've got a short time to do it. So we don't have time to get stuck down into what cute little community we can create. No, we, this, is, this is an army camp, and we are being trained for war. And so there's, there's something a little bit intense that's always just been in our hearts because we understand. Moses actually says this. He says, God, teach us the brevity of life so that we may live with wisdom. Wisdom means being able to say no to some things in order that you can say yes to other things. 
It, being, it means being able to make choices. It means being able to lay down something so you can pick up some things. Teach us, God, that life is short so that we won't waste our days carrying the wrong things. And so before we started Anchor Church, I remember I was, I was a youth pastor and I went to go visit a church in Cape Town. And uh, I was down there and, and the lead pastor of the church picked me up from the hotel. And we were driving to church, it was a Sunday evening service, and we were driving on the way and he said to me, and this is before I had told anybody that it was in my heart to plant a church. He said, Adrian, if you planted a church, what would it look like? And I said to him, the only thing I can tell you is that it won't be nice. <laughs> it won't be cute. It's got to be raw. It's got to be real. We don't have time to create a little bubble. We've got a mission. And, uh, and so in the beginning, we, we actually stopped using this term because I think we, we burnt it out after a while. We used to always say it's got to be raw and real. That was like what we always said in the beginning. Now it's like we've said that enough. We'll say it again maybe in 10 years' time. But, but my point is this morning is that as a church and as a people, God designed us to dream. He imparts dreams. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your young men will dream dreams, your old men or your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. There's, a, there's, there's something supernatural that God speaks to our hearts once we begin engaging with Him. And then we begin to move. And as we move, we say, Spirit, lead us. And so where are we going in the future? What are we, we're going to be looking at this as a church over the next three weeks, leading up to our Heart for the House Sunday at the end of October. And that's an opportunity where we can even give into that vision so that we have provision for the vision, that we can take steps and make moves and, 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 and hopefully see more souls come to Jesus. Um, but as we prepare our hearts for that, we're talking about this vision that God has for us. And what we're saying is, and, and, and this is just something that struck me out of the book of Acts as I was going through it, um, but, but the Spirit leads because the Spirit has a strategy. Did you know that heaven has a strategy? Do you know that none of this is our plan? Do you know that all of this is God's design? We, we, we like to say that our church doesn't have a vision as much as God's vision has a church. God's vision has a church. God's vision has a plan. God's vision has a strategy. There's a strategy of heaven. And so as a church, wanting to engage with that, we close our eyes and we go to another place. We go to a place in the future. We go to a prophetic place. We go to a place where God is able to speak to us and show us, this is what I have for your life. And it takes us just stop, to stop running around for a second, stop pursuing everything for a second, to come before God and say, God, what is it that you have for us? And that's the question that we ask together as a church. We've always been dreamers. We've always been pioneers. And when we close our eyes, the passion that God has placed in us begins to draw pictures on the surface of our soul. It begins to show us images of the future. And we sit there going, imagine what God may do. Why not us? Why not now? Why not us? All the revivals we've read about in history, all the things that, that God could do, why could He not use us to do that thing right now? So we're starting this series today, Spirit Lead Us, and uh, Isaiah 30 verse 1, such a powerful scripture, just talking about the leadership of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, just a simple scripture, and it says that your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what we're trusting God for, for your life, that your life will be spirit-led, that the things that you pursue will be spirit-led. We're walking, we're pursuing, 
And how beautiful that God comes alongside us and he whispers intimately into your own ear and says, this is the way. I want you to walk in it. That verse goes on to talk about how the teacher, capital T, will be revealed. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, reveals the goodness of God and the good things that God has for our lives. So I want to share a message with you this morning entitled Lifelines. Lifelines, first part of our Spirit Leader series, Lifelines. Um, and if you have a Bible here today, won't you just show me your Bible, if you have a Bible? All right, a couple of phones going up, a couple of digital, you know, it's like, you know, the problem is when your battery runs out and you need a word from the Lord. Um, but if you, if you turn to the back of your Bibles, for most of you in the back of your Bibles, if you had one growing up, uh, one of these Bibles, you would uh, often turn to the back or maybe sometimes right in the center and there would be a map. There would be different maps that show you the world in the time of the Bible and the journeys that people took and where things took place. And one of those maps, one of the key maps I think that everybody studies as they read through the New Testament um, is the map of Paul's missionary journeys, the three journeys that we know of that he undertook um, that are recorded in the Bible. And, and that's what it looks like. You can see the different lines, the different colors show the different journeys as he went through the first, second, and third missionary journeys, planting churches, strengthening churches, preaching the gospel. And just yesterday, I was looking at my Bible, and I was looking at this map, and I looked at those lines on the map, and I began to imagine what each of those lines represent. What took place in the span of those lines? Think about that for a moment. All the preaching, all the working, all the pursuing, all the risking, all the faith, all the miracles, all the friendships, all the hardships, all the moments come down to three lines on a map. Those three lines right there formed the roadmap, not only of Paul's life, but the groundwork for his reward in heaven. Just three lines. He didn't even go very far. He still wanted to make it across to Spain. We don't know if he, if he did. Some traditions say he did. Others say it's not in the Bible. It doesn't tell us. He didn't, even, he didn't even get out of that little area in just three lines. That's it. That's all you get. You get a line on a map. A line on a map. In essence, that's everything that Paul's life represented. It rep those lines represent the pursuit of a calling, represent a desire for souls. They represent a faithfulness to God and a, and a relentlessness to, you know, that said that I'm never going to give up no matter what comes my way. I'm going to continually pursue God's best, God's plan for my life. Those lines represent years spent in the pursuit of purpose. What I want to ask you today is, if we had to draw the line of your life, what would your line look like? What would your line look like? What story would your line tell? What would we know about your response to the call of God if we looked at your lifeline? Those lines, interestingly enough, if we can go back to that map just for a, for a moment, those lines show us nothing about 
the material things of Paul's life. From looking at those lines, what car he drove is, ir is irrelevant. I think he probably didn't drive a car. <laughs> but if it was your line, your car is not included in the line. Your home, what a state you stay in is not on the line. Your accolades and awards and things that you have, have done for yourself, your annual salary, it's not on the line. Your line represents only one thing. What did you do for Jesus? What did you do in building the kingdom? What did you do? You know why those lines only have that, only include that? Because they only include what is eternal. The rest is gonna be forgotten, it's gonna be erased. Only what's in it eternal is gonna stay on the map. And the only thing that's eternal is what we do for Jesus. That's where the reward comes. The only thing that, that Jesus cares about is the lives of people. What is your impact currently in the lives of others? That's what goes on the map. Nothing else. Nothing else matters. The enemy's plan is to distract us from this so that we would run after things and waste our time, waste our energy, waste our, our gifts serving ourselves rather than putting our line on the map. What story would your line tell? What you did with, for Jesus is the only thing that's gonna count at the end of the day. I wanna ask Pastor Brent to bring up the drawing board for a second because I, I wanna maybe hypothesize about what some of your lines or some people's lines may look like, what I hope my lines don't look like at the end of the day. But for a lot of people, if we had to represent What, and, and the Bible speaks about this because it is possible for us to know Jesus. It is possible for us to be saved and at the same time never engage with God's call for our lives. If it was impossible to know Jesus and not engage with God's call for your life, then the Bible wouldn't constantly tell us to engage with God's call for our lives. It is possible for you to be neutralized in your journey so that at the end of the day, the enemy is like, well, they're a Christian, I can't stop that now, but what I can do is I can prevent them from having an influence on others. How will we do that? Let's distract them. Let's give them other things to worry about. Let's give them other things to think about. Let's give them other pursuits. For some people, if we had to draw their lifeline, it'll look like this. Just an endless going around and around the same things. Never, never any direction, never any purpose, never any plan. What they hope is to just create a circle of comfort. Just an area in, within which they feel fulfilled. Hey, if I could just, I'll go to church on Sunday, that's cool. But then I want lunch and a nap. And then after that, some sports highlights. And then... You know, I, I want my work hours, you know, four-hour work week. I want my work hours to be short. I want to hang out at the golf course. I want to, you know, just, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with a nap. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have one this afternoon. But I definitely find like, I find out after a nap, I'm more like Jesus. But, but the point is, is that there's no risking. There's no plan. There's no purpose. There's no cost. There's no sacrifice. For other people, 
their lines look like this. Constantly back and forth to the same things. Constantly getting caught up and, and held up by the same things. The same addictions, the same concerns, the same fears. And you're unable to break free from a pattern of back and forth. For some people, their line looks like this. There really isn't much direction. It's just whatever the next thing is, the next interest. It's, you know, the Bible almost talks about being carried. If you, if you don't know what you believe, you will be tossed to and fro by every new fashion, every new fad, every new philosophy, every new uh, you know, idea that comes across social media. You just go with it. Wherever the river flows, you go. Whereas when we see Paul's map, we see very specifically that there's a point, and then there's a traveling to a point, and then there's a traveling to a point, and then there's a traveling to a point. And yes, sometimes he revisits and says, have I done a good enough job here? But there's, a, there's always a goal. There's always a plan. There's always a pursuit and a purpose. What would your line look like? Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. I believe that this would represent something of what it would look like if you had cast off restraint. But vision has a way of straightening us out, giving us a purpose, giving us a sense of direction, and informing the virility with which we take our steps, how we run. Because we're running towards something something that is not just an external, but an internal that God has spoken to our hearts saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so there is a prophetic vision that God has for your life. Prophetic because it's, it's regarding the future, but also because it's supernatural. It's bigger than just living a natural life. God didn't create us just to live natural lives. Just like when God meets the young Jeremiah he asks him a very, very significant question, a question that God most likely asks every one of us. In Jeremiah 1 verse 11, Jeremiah, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? Have you read that verse? What do you see? He, he's not asking Jeremiah what he sees in the physical. Jeremiah would have been like, I mean, he was in the Middle East, so probably like, God, there's a mountain, some stones. I don't know, what am I supposed to be looking at? No, Jeremiah, what do you see in the spirit? And Jeremiah has a vision of an almond branch. And the almond branch would blossom before spring. Like It's kind of like midwinter. These are such positive trees. They're like, hey guys, it's almost time. God says, you've seen correctly. Because I'm gonna watch over my word to perform it. God's saying, I want you to see that there is a fruition of my will and my purpose that is going to be executed through your life. Are you aware? Do you see it? Do you know it? Do you trust in it? Do you understand that you have a role to play? That there is something that God wants you to do in pursuing that purpose and that vision? I want to ask you again a question this morning. What is God showing you right now? 
What is God's prophetic vision for your life? So that if I met up with you in the cafe after the service right now and I said, what is God saying to you? What is your job? What's your role? What's the vision? Where are you going? That you would have a clear idea of what God wants you to do. Because that's how you make sure your life doesn't end up like this or like this or like this. What has God got for you? Some people think that God's prophetic for their vision for their lives is to sit in the second last row every third Sunday. That's the full extent of it. What does God have for my life? No, He just wants me to sit here, second last row. I'm not going to go any nearer than this. And also, I've got other stuff going on. I'll come every third Sunday. And also, don't ask me to have coffee in the cafe afterwards or go to Growth Track because I've got stuff to do. That's the sum total of it, to be honest. It's not even a line. If we had to draw that, it's like, I don't know, the distance between your house and the church and back. That's like pretty much, that's your line. God has more for us, church. He has more for us. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I love this. You know, when Luke wrote his gospel, he was writing it to an important, uh, probably Roman governor um, and he, by the name of Theophilus. And he says, I, I, he wrote to Theophilus in the first account. And then when he writes Acts, he says, in my former account, I wrote to you, a great Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What that implies is that through the book of Acts, it is still Jesus who is doing and who, who is teaching. In fact, it says that after Jesus ascended, the, in the end of the book of Mark, it says that the people went out, the disciples went, and they preached the gospel, and the Lord was with them doing great miracles. So it's still Jesus doing the work. It's still Jesus' ministry. But now he does it through you and me. That's an incredible revelation, that he would use people like us. So it's still the work of Jesus. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what you receive here on a Sunday morning is not just a little bit of an encouraging word, but it is equipping for the work of the ministry, for your role in the kingdom, for the vision that God gave you. This is not a restaurant or a day spa. It's an army camp. It's a training ground. So as a church, we're saying, Lord, show us. Show us the almond branch. Show us what it is that you have for us. Show us what we, you have for our lives. We want to engage with it, God. We want to surrender to it, God. We want to run in those things, God. Over and over and over again, the scriptures implore us not to get distracted by meaningless pursuits. Do not allow comfort to determine your commitment. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, we, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us, that ran this race, that finished it strong, that are cheering us on as we have our turn to run, let us also lay aside every weight. Now, it's so interesting that this verse says lay aside every weight and sin. So it doesn't necessarily say that the weight you're carrying is sinful. You've got to lay down both, both sin and weight. He's not talking about going to the gym, although that might help. He's talking about the things that we carry that Jesus has not asked us to carry, and He is not going to give us the grace to carry things He hasn't asked us to carry. 
God, give me grace. No, I won't. I want you to put it down. Give me strength, Lord. No, I'm not going to give you strength. I want you to lay it down. I don't want you to have the strength to carry that because it's not my will for you. What is it that we pursue that hinders us from running? I don't know if you've ever run with ankle weights. Anybody here? That was like a 90s, 80s, 90s thing, right? Ankle weights was like the thing. Does anybody still ever do that? No, because running is hard enough. They say the first thing you realize when you start running is that it was a mistake. But I remember one time finding some ankle weights in my dad's cupboard. You know, they buy, our parents, they bought those things. They never used them. The thigh thing, the, the hand thing, and then the ankle weights. Those were amazing. Home gym in the 80s. So I strapped them on once when I was a kid, and I was like, I'm going to go run with ankle weights. I nearly died. You can't run with weights. When I took them off, I felt like I, felt like I was Apollo or something. I mean, I was just going to fly, you know. So we're not called to run with weight, but to lay down everything so that we can run, so that we can have our lines on the map drawn across the history of time so that the lines that we draw with our lives will be so influential that for other people, it would literally become the dividing line between everything that came before and everything that is now. You understand that when, when Paul drew those lines on the map, it changed lives, multitudes of lives. And we can live in such a way that the lines we draw become the dividing line for people between the life before you arrived and the life after you had had your influence in their lives. These are supercharged, spirit-filled lives that we have the opportunity to lead as we follow Jesus. To finish off with this morning, I want to give you three things that Paul did in order to draw those lines. How did he draw those lines? What, did, what, you know, what were the things that he did that we could emulate, that we could imitate in order to draw similar lines? Well, the first thing that we find is that he was dead set against God. Some of you in this building might be dead set against God, or at the very least, you don't like the church. Paul didn't like the church either. You're in good company, right? He didn't like the church. He was persecuting the church. He thought it was all false, and he was on the road to Damascus, and God met him. Jesus met him supernaturally and showed up, and, and he said, you know who you're persecuting, Paul? You're not, you're not persecuting uh, the church. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? The church is Jesus' body. He says, and, and he had this encounter and he goes blind in this moment. And then God sends a man by the name of Ananias to go and pray for Paul. And he lays his hands on Paul. And the Bible says, as he laid his hands on him, something like scales fell off of his eyes. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The word Ananias, go look this up, means grace. When God's grace touched Paul's life, his eyes opened up, not just physically, but spiritually. And he now had a prophetic vision of what God wanted him to do. In fact, God spoke to Ananias and said, I will show him all the places that I, will, that I am going to be sending him. What Paul did at that time, though, is that he didn't immediately get up and start ministering and running around. No, he prepared himself spiritually. Listen to this in Galatians 1, 15 to 18. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult 
with anyone. You know, when God begins to speak to your heart, you don't immediately need a counselor. You don't immediately need someone to explain it to you. I didn't, I didn't consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. So for three years, Saul just sat under the ministry of the Holy Spirit and allowed God to be his teacher allowed God to speak and to reveal the gospel to him. I can imagine what it must have been like pouring through the Old Testament scriptures because there were no New Testament scriptures yet. Paul was the one that God was going to use to write most of them. But in that way, through the Old Testament and, and through the Holy Spirit, God begins to reveal something and he's preparing himself spiritually. How much more effective would we be in this world if we prepared ourselves spiritually? If before we head out the front door to go to work in the morning, we prepared ourselves spiritually, we spent time with the Lord, we, we prayed, we heard from Him, we quieted ourselves in His presence, how much less anxiety would we deal with if we were able to just come to that place where we reaffirm in our own hearts who our God is? What would our generosity look like if we prayed about our budget before we set it? I've sometimes, I actually have done this. I remember when I wanted to go buy a pair of binoculars. And I was driving, because they, they were very expensive, so I was buying them secondhand. And I drove in the car on the way there. And because it was a far drive, it was in the south of Joburg, I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> if I get there, because for us it was a bit of money. I said, if I get there, and this is not the right thing, don't let me just, give me the courage to say, I've driven all this way, but I'm going to say no. The Lord said yes in that instance. In fact, the guy had two and I bought both because the Lord, there was an emphatic, a resounding yes as the scriptures speak about. <laughs> I bought one for me and my wife. So I phoned her off. I, like, I said to her, these binoculars, they are great. They're like Leica, but not, they're the best. You know, I'm like, these are great. So here's the thing. <laughs> I bought it, but also I bought one for you as well. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna love it. <laughs> But, but, you know, there's this, we have a real relationship with Jesus. How about before you buy that car or before you move into that house or before you, you know, buy, take something off the shelf that you don't need? Why, how about you, are, God, is this, do I need this? And I'm not talking about being weirdly spiritual or overly spiritual. Not, it's not really spiritual. It's just, but are we including God in every part of our lives? Lord, what do you want me to do? How about if we inquired of God as often as we inquire of Google? If we asked Him as many questions as we ask the internet, what would our lives look like? We can prepare ourselves spiritually. Not only can we prepare ourselves spiritually, but we can actually implement some discipline in our lives physically. Paul cultivated a culture of discipline personally because he believed in the call that God has for his life. I recently heard about a, a pastor uh, who was in the 19th century was just a phenomenal missionary. God had gifted him with a supreme level of intelligence and ability to communicate. And he finished school and his studies by the age of 14. And he immediately set out to start he studied theology and he set out to start this work of the ministry and he went around riding on his horse, preaching the gospel wherever he went. He died at the age of 28. 
And on his deathbed, he said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. And now I have killed the horse so I can no longer deliver the message. It doesn't matter how anointed you are. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be around to enjoy that anointing. Your line will be short, shorter than it was meant to be. So discipline is saying no to something so that you can say yes to better things. And, and it's everything that your future self will thank you for. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 27. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. There's a mission. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. If you've got a mission and a race to run, you exercise self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after having preached to others, I myself may be disqualified. He took the call of God on his life with great seriousness. One translation says, I treat my body harshly. You know why you need to do that? Because there's a greater purpose for your body than meeting its every need or every desire. We have a greater purpose, so we are able to sacrifice. Your body is a tool, a vehicle that God has given you to fulfill your purpose on the earth. The purpose, your purpose on earth is not to give your body whatever it wants in order to fulfill it. The second thing, Paul picked a place. He picked a place. So he prepared himself, and then he picked a place. In many of the letters of Paul, he says, I long to come to you. He had a desire, not just for a place, but for the people of that place. He had a passion for souls. He, had a, he, had, he saw the potential in people. And so he carried them deep in his heart. And that was his focus. How often do we complain about South Africa? It's, it's easy. Come on, guys. It's easy to complain about South Africa. There's a lot to complain about. There's a lot of things that frustrate us on a daily basis. I now heard something about watershedding. Brace yourselves. It's easy to complain about Joburg, South Africa, whatever, what the government's doing, what the politics are, what the, but you know what? This is a land full of beautiful people. A people with incredible God-given potential. And so we need to start carrying a greater vision for our city. A greater vision for our nation. Otherwise, we'll never be able to contribute towards it. Do we carry people in our hearts? If you don't, you won't have a line because that's the purpose of, of heaven. In Romans 15, 23, Paul says, since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. I've longed for you and I'm going to Spain. I've picked a place and to be helped on my journey there by you. He's kind of Paul saying, hey guys, I'd like you to contribute financially to this vision. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while, I have Spain on my heart. I'm gonna go there come hell or high water. In 2 Corinthians 11, we see some of the things that Paul went through. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. They used to give you 39 lashes because they believed a person would die after 40. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He was, he was stoned with, with rocks and carried outside the city and they left him there thinking he was dead. And he got up and he went into the next city and carried on preaching the gospel. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You wonder why he drew some lines on the map. He had a passion for people. He was willing to endure. And we need to take up this heart. His greatest goal was to present every man, every woman mature in Jesus. That was his heart. That's what led him. Final one. He was led by the Spirit. So he prepared himself, he picked a place, developed a passion for a people, and then he was led by the Spirit. In Acts 13, 2 to 4, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by whom? By the Holy Spirit. They, were, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. We see something Interesting, a little bit further on in Acts 16, 6, it says, And they went through the region of Pregia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now that's interesting to me. Because in Mark, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And in Acts 1, he said, I want you to preach the gospel, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So why would the Holy Spirit prevent them from preaching in Asia? Does God have an issue with Asians? Obviously, no. God's heart was for every nation, every tribe, every tongue to make up that multitude before the throne. But the Holy Spirit has a strategy. He has timing. He has a plan. That's so comforting to me because so often I think that in order for me to fulfill God's plan for my life, I have to come up with it. How good is it to know that God has the plan? And there are certain things that may seem good to you right now. Hey, I want to preach the gospel to the Asians right now. And the Holy Spirit says, not yet. I need you to follow another course. So in this journey, we are, we are led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit has a strategy for your life, for our church, for the people He wants to reach. He says in Revelation, I open a door that no one can shut. And I shut a door that no one can open. There's a there's a timing that God has. Can we trust in the strategy of the Holy Spirit? But you know what Paul did do over and over again, like his desire to go to Spain? He leaned against the door. Maybe the door's closed right now for that next step in your journey. But we can lean against the door. We're saying, God, you know, we dream about our church. Perhaps God will help us to, to build a campus here in Joburg. And from that place, 
we can launch many more campuses, perhaps even all over the world. Perhaps we can, we can uh, make a, a dent on, on the, the, the lack of education in our nation. Perhaps we can raise up leaders. Perhaps we can send out missionaries. Perhaps we can make an impact globally. Perhaps God can use us to do that. Perhaps. It's what we desire. But w- and if it's not right now, we're leaning against the door. And we're waiting on God to open it for that moment. As a church, there's so much that God has put in our hearts, a vision that He has imparted for the people that He wants to reach. Perhaps He'll open the door. Perhaps God will do, even through your life, something beyond your wildest imaginations. And it's something that will have an impact not only for you, but as you leave your own lines on the map, Generations from now, maybe even a grandson like me will pick up your map and go, wow, this is where those who came before me have gone. And now it's my turn to run. Those are the lives that we get to lead. Let's prepare ourselves spiritually. Let's make sure that we're we're developing a passion for people. And let's be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we pray?